And I think one of my beliefs is that this is a conversation that we're having with the paranormal and not just something that's passively happening to us all the time. Today we're talking to the podcaster that we're now calling our official paranormal correspondent, my brilliant friend, Jim Perry. He's the host of Euphemet, a paranormal documentary series that explores the unknown and our relationship to it. As flexible skeptics, we enjoy doing a lot of speculating in this episode, which includes our thoughts on the recent unidentified aerial phenomena that has rocked our little terrestrial world, the first UFO hysteria of the 1940s, and how the way we experience the paranormal has something to do with both personal and national trauma. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. Hello, Jim Perry, our, I think I'm going to call you our official paranormal correspondent going forward. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you called me a correspondent and not an expert. Oh, none of us are experts. There ain't no such thing. Yeah, that would have just been a line in the sand for me. I would have said, no, no, no. I am done. I'm out of here. Correspondent. I can handle, though. Sometimes that's just somebody out laying in the grass with a notebook. Exactly. That's what sometimes a correspondent can be. And aren't we all just people laying outside with a notebook at the end of the day? Uh, Did we just end the episode there? That's perfect. <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> well, I have invited you, Jim, to talk about the fact that we are currently being invaded by UFOs. There is no other possible explanation. And uh, it is time, everyone, to get your emergency supplies ready. <laughs> But really, I want to advocate that we should all be prepared for any type of disaster at any time. But otherwise, I think we're going to get into today what could be going on with the UFOs, but even more so just talking about kind of the history of UFO sightings, which for both of us, I believe, are a very different animal than what you have been on to talk with us about in the past of alien abductions. So I want to kind of try to stick more in the unidentified flying object, UAP. What is that? Unidentified aerial phenomenon. That's the new term, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we <laughs> when I, I texted you the other day when I learned about this, and I was like, Jim, Jim, is this it? Is this the <laughs> final moment for us? Is it over? So what has been your reaction as somebody who's a lifelong person who's interested in the paranormal, especially in the kind of alien world? Well, to tell you the truth, I'm annoyed because I'm taking a break from the show and having a paranormal mind and this has all just occurred and pulled me right back in and no one told these extraterrestrial entities or anomalous metaphysical objects to just wait a few more months until I could <laughs> kind of give my shit together. It's just incredibly selfish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to have my people call their people and try to figure this stuff out. Um, listen, we're experiencing something seemingly strange and i don't know if it is the phenomena itself or 
our sort of cultural reaction to what these things are. You know, I can definitely get into some of what that is. But basically what happened over the last two weeks, uh, there's been a number of objects that have been encountered and shot down by military officials here in the United States and actually abroad as well. Um, this all started at the very end of January when uh, Intel got word of a balloon uh, flying in our atmosphere in which, you know, caused some concern for those in the intelligence community and eventually was uh, shot down by an F-22 Raptor at about uh, 60,000 feet. It, this balloon was about the size of three buses and it was identified as a Chinese spy balloon. Since then, things became a little more interesting. Uh, this got a ton of media coverage, which was kind of noteworthy in a way, uh, including comments from Pentagon and the White House. And since then, allegedly, NORAD sort of opened up their frequency. They have been paying attention to things that are engaging their radar system, which otherwise they would not have paid attention to before. So... Smaller things, things the size of a car, things like scientific balloon devices and, and such, things like possibly commercial drones. Uh, these are essentially things that, that NORAD wouldn't pay attention to normally. Um, they really don't care unless it's a foreign, you know, sort of a, a foreign aggressor coming into our airspace or, you know, a missile that they're tracking. Sure. So now we have this space where uh, the media and the public are plugged into this sort of Chinese spy balloon. And there's a lot of overtures through the media that this was unidentified at first. And, oh, what was this sort of mystery? It started very, like, sort of earnestly. Over the next few days, as NORAD kind of cracked open their signal, other things were popping up. And we were going and shooting these things down. So in the last two weeks, we've shot another three objects down. And if you're listening to the media and comments from places like the Pentagon or the Air Force, or the White House, they're making it, you know, sort of unclear the origin of these objects and kind of what they are. And so we started to hear a lot of kind of triggering words for people in the UFO community, for researchers and and very legitimate journalists who, you know, the UFO topic, the UAP topic, it's their beat, mm -hmm. right? And they cover it for national papers and for, you know, very legitimate blogs and, and other sources. So some really great journalists have kind of had their uh, flags raised, essentially, because there's nomenclature and terms being used to address this situation that are kind of like UFO dog whistles, even though... These yeah. could all be kind of balloons. Yeah. And that has, uh, I think, enveloped a community, uh, the general population, who, if they have a general interest in this or not, are saying, are we getting fucking invaded right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you texted me that day, I mean, you know, I was very happy to see your text, but you're one of maybe a dozen <laughs> that had been texting me throughout the days going like, is this it? Is this it, man? Like, what's going on? Are you following this? Answer us, Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me the answer. And, you know, what they were responding to is there was one of these things shot down in Alaska. 
there's one of these shot down in the Yukon territory in Canada. And that was a sort of a group effort to dispatch that one. There was an object shot down in Lake Huron. And each of these containing their own sort of physical appearances that had been passed to us, kind of almost in a too detailed fashion for a military operation. Mm -hmm. You know, when these things happen, you know, across our skies, which is actually, you know, I wouldn't say frequent, but these things happen across the globe. We don't necessarily get these type of descriptions. All of them being, you know, sort of anomalous objects uh, with no source of propulsion system. Mm -hmm. One of the first ones was described as a cylindrical object with unknown propulsion. The next one was kind of described as a hexagonal shape which seems <laughs> very UFO-ish if you start, you know, letting your imagination. Uh, the, the fourth one, and the most recent one that was shot down, is a mystery. And we have not heard from anyone sort of what the visual, you know, mm -hmm. what the fucking thing looks like. Uh, we don't know. And also, that was one that had appeared the day before it was shot down and shut down airspace and was... Legitimately, of all of them, seemingly the most mysterious. But if we go back to why are we hearing about these right now? It's a really interesting thing to consider. I mean, is there a purpose? And that feeling that we're all getting, is there a reason that we're feeling that? You know, like mm -hmm. this sense of kind of tension and sometimes fear. I've spoke with people who are generally kind of freaked out about this and if this is but like a bunch of balloons or drones things of this nature and not you know sort of hyperdimensional beings or <laughs> listen we all know like you know uap ufo we all know that those stand for just unidentified flying things right well those terms actually they have a much greater connotation to us mm -hmm. you cannot say those things without attaching a tremendous amount of lore to them and feeling we, we think of aliens we think of abduction we think of uh invasion when when those words are uttered even if they are domestic craft yes yes definitely and i mean i think that that is what works on me right because i don't bring this up a lot on the show but i am still a conspiracy theorist it takes every ounce of my personality to prevent me from being a full-blown tinfoil hat person because it's just my brain chemistry i think <laughs> i don't think i can ever change it for real and yet i'm also an intense skeptic so it's this it's this weird combination but you know as soon as i hear this i am very scared of aliens it is one of my top fears. I think it's because I saw um, Mars Attacks way too young. Very scary <laughs> film. Um, and so, you know, but I also grew up looking for UFOs as a kid, like laying out with my friends at night, just looking up at the sky and hoping to see some anomalous activity um, that we could sort of craft our story around about our own reality and sure. things like that. So I didn't want to believe, but I kind of did, right? Like my poor partner, Miranda, is just listening to me being like, oh my God, this could be it. This might be it. And, you know, she's asleep next to me and I'm up until two in the morning, like making the emergency list of items <laughs> we may need to grab before we escape the city. Um, yeah. you know, she's just <laughs> dreaming next to me. And <laughs> just like going insane. <laughs> so I feel like these are just trigger words. Like you're saying, there are like, they're dog whistles, but they're also ones that are kind of like, 
bred into all of us because of popular culture and because of how hard it is to trust the government. I sure don't. Um, I'll be the first to say I do not trust any of our institutions. Sorry, but the CIA has not proven to me to be a always reliable source of information. So I am always dubious of statements. But in fact, we have some breaking news, Jim. Oh, no. Beep, 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 beep. It's okay. Biden has given his first statement on the objects right like 54 minutes ago. I heard it might happen, so I wanted to look it up. And it did happen. What he has said is, quote, We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing right now suggests that they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from any other country. He said there's no evidence that there has been a sudden increase in the number of objects in the sky. Instead, he said American authorities have been more attuned to detecting them after radar changes instituted after the Chinese balloon was spotted over the United States. Didn't say anything about uh, the possibility that they're UFOs, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I imagine he wouldn't want to bring that up. (laughs) How funny is that statement, though? I mean, through process of elimination for people that have been even like sort of following the story passively. Right. The idea has been this is a Chinese spy balloon or these are, you know, sort of devices of that nature, or those are aliens. And to not factor in within that statement, to not disqualify the fact that, you know, listen, this is what we're thinking, but, you know, to clarify his stance, to dissuade individuals in in believing that this could be more than what it possibly is, is very weird. Yeah. Chels, I mean... Okay, so as I went down this rabbit hole, when you asked me to come to this thing, I knew I was going to have to <laughs> uh, fill my brain with this. I was going to have to get off my euphemet vacation. And I was going to have to also, you know, it was really interesting to see what the kind of the greater UFO zeitgeist was feeling about this. And so instead of just going on UFO Twitter, which is a wasteland of nothingness. Terrifying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I went and visited some blogs, listened to podcasts, read some articles, all with people that, you know, have sort of a respected, you know, viewpoint and well of work within the space. And what's interesting is that the consensus among the kind of the OG investigator community and the legitimate journalists in the space and legitimate scientists within that space is that, well, this is potentially someone muddying the waters. And They believe that at the end of the day, these will come out to be balloons. Mm -hmm. And if not that, something definitely domestic and commercial and whatever. And that through this process, they're trying to dissuade citizens from having an interest in genuine UAP Mm. or UFO. They are attempting to make the public feel like it's just all balloons. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this is off the heels of, you know, the UAP task force and the Pentagon handing over their work to this new group arrow. Now, the acronyms and stuff for these, you know, official UAP task force and stuff are just endless. And it gets very confusing about who is doing what over there and their intents to make information public that they have been forced to do 
based off of Congress and the Senate Intelligence Committee. You know, they have been forced to present this information to the public and they're not really giving us much. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're not giving us much at all. And we've seen within the community, like people have been very disappointed about that lack of transparency and essentially what feels like very lack of knowledge of what people understand this phenomenon to be and kind of a, a lack of taking it serious from a scientific standpoint. More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. Friends, hello. I'm Mike Rignetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the internet and the world because of the internet is the way it is. How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. So this definitely has tapped into the conspiratorial mind that has existed within the UFO community for 75 years, going on 76. 1947, right? Yes. We had the summer of the saucer. And this was when uh, one of the most famous UFO stories ever occurred. And that was of Roswell. Outside of Roswell, New Mexico, there was a crash that occurred. And many believe that this was a flying saucer and that inside of this flying saucer was even alien entities and a government group came through they cleaned up the site took all the debris away and this was a point in time where across the country a multitude of sightings were happening everywhere so every major newspaper every small town newspaper every radio broadcast was filled with flying saucer and mysterious object reports it was almost at that time as if we were being invaded, and it was a cultural touch point that inspired our popular culture and our notion of this phenomenon since then. Um, <laughs> you talk about Mars attacks. 
you know, that's a series from mid-century that was inspired originally by the Summer of the Saucers and so much of what we experience culturally within movies, TV, and even our modern obsession with these things are based within a space where things are crashing, no one's telling us the truth, the government is hiding things, but we really know something else is going on. Mm -hmm. And so you can't kind of like separate that almost in terms of our mainstream reaction to what these things are or could be. And Roswell was the perfect example of a kicking off point for something very, very seriously familiar because journalists were essentially to help calm down the situation, the speculation, the fervor, the hysteria of it all. (laughs) They were brought into a small room by military officials and showed the debris, allegedly, of the Roswell crash, which was a downed weather balloon. And what was shocking about the footage of them retrieving that Chinese spy balloon from the depths of those waters, the only video that we have seen of the four objects that have been shot down was military officials pulling out this balloon. And goddamn, did it look like the Roswell image. (laughs) And you start to say, like, what is going on here? What's going on? Uh, there's a good reason why people are, you know, a little cynical about what we're being told. And it's a part of that conspiracy culture of UFOs that, frankly, a lot of people love that part of studying UFOs more than the actual phenomenon itself. Right. They like the cloak and dagger, X-Files, kind of, are we going to get information from the government cover up and disclosure and this is a whole thing and it should be because these are people that rightfully a lot of them are are making great efforts to try to get to the bottom of what that phenomenon is my suggestion is that yes they probably have information that we don't know about but do they know any more than what we actually know or can figure or the greatest minds that have considered this have proposed i don't think they know That's just my opinion. But if that's the case and they're trying to put the lid on, you know, before hysterics set in, right? Before Mm -hmm. we experience, you know, the spring of saucers 2023, (laughs) is this a method in which they look to use to help control what that narrative is? And essentially, is it a version of that that can be either weaponized or commercialized or essentially putting people into their place so commerce can continue running as normal. And what's really been interesting to me is that, as you know, I've been trying to write a book. And this book is about the Maury Islands incident. And overall, it's more about like sort of the, I don't know, the cultural effects of the paranormal and the occult and the summer of the saucers in 1947, how that is echoed throughout time and that uh, it feels similar to what we're living in now. And I can only imagine that this is just going to cause more discourse. It's going to cause more infighting, which happened a great deal in terms of like the 1990s, for example, when this sort of like UFO conspiracy culture that was wound up into everything that we saw politically within this last decade. You can't separate any of that from it. It's all the same community gestating and and forming and turning into different ways, I think. You can't separate elements of domestic terrorism from this discourse. You can go to the Capitol and what happened there, right? And mm-hmm. you can you can trace that back 
to internet forums in the 1990s that were also talking about this conspiracy about, you know, UFOs and alien life. And reptilians, right? And like reptilians. David Icke and, uh, yes. and how it's all wound up. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where it feels like we give too much credit to the government yeah. being able to keep these things secret. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, like if we can't trust like our foremost experts uh, in all of these different fields or people who are scientists who research UFOs in a serious manner, then, uh, you know, we don't need to assume that the government is this smart, this, um, yeah. you know, all encompassing of the, you know, and that's, that's just gets down to conspiracy philosophy in general, yeah. I think. But um, yeah. It is very easy to start to uh, join in this conspiracy, especially growing up in the 90s, like you said, because it was a big part of our childhood. You know, it was a big part of popular culture in a way that still felt, at least to kids, like it felt accessible and more fun. But of course, if you were to dive deeper into those conversations that people were having, um, you might get into like Oklahoma bomber territory, which is pretty wild, right? But it is, it's woven in it and it makes sense because it's all comes from a paranoid impulse right yeah and so okay you brought up roswell have you been to roswell new mexico you know it's so i have not which is i can't believe i have you gotta go (laughs) and and you've been i have i passed through on one of my uh long trips when i used to travel in my truck and uh, sleep in my truck and you know do whatever i was doing for months at a time classic sojourns yeah exactly but i did pass through and i went i mean it is a town that the only thing really going on is the fact that it is roswell new mexico (laughs) but i mean it is so much Fun because it is the kitschiest place. And I went to the official Roswell Museum. You would love it. But uh, it, yeah, it's just, it is the pop culturalification of this incident that happened in the 40s. And I do want to talk to you about the other big UFO incident that happened in Washington state, right? Like the very first sighting. Yeah. Isn't that true? It was here, right? Well, allegedly. Allegedly. Okay. All right. Allegedly. Tell me more. (laughs) What you're referring to is um, what I'm writing a book about, essentially, Mm -hmm. which is the Maury Island incident, which if you went outside your house and uh, went to the sound and looked south, you would be able to, you know, see where this happened, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, listen, it's a weird story that at the end of the day, it itself might not be entirely true. But what it was, was potentially an example of that level of paranoia that was happening in that day. And uh, those that were trying to take advantage of it for monetary game, potentially. Mm. I'll jump back to that. But I do want to preface, like, or I want to, like, state to make it very clear that although I'm talking a lot about the conspiracy side of this, and that's, we're running through that as an angle, as a lens to gain clarity of, like, what's happening right now. But... That being said, I do believe real things are also occurring to people. I do really believe, and I've spent time with these folks, and I've had my own experiences. I do know something different is happening in the skies, potentially connected to us or not, that is authentic and is something that's a mystery Mm -hmm. for us. And that is a really noble quest for those that are looking into what it is. So I do want to state that. I think there's that layer to this that in addition to the misinformation or the alleged sightings or the weather balloons or all this bullshit, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's something real going on. So in 1947, a few weeks before Roswell, 
there was an incident that occurred off Maury Island, Washington. And this is a small island in the Puget Sound. There was a essentially a captain of a small boat. Him and his crew were salvaging logs. Above them was six flying craft. One of them was about to crash and started spewing out slag, this liquid metal goo that started hitting the boat. It allegedly killed the dog that was on the craft, the family dog that was on the craft. And this man um, was able to dock his ship. It also hit his kid. He had to take his kid into the hospital. And he went and um, told his captain, essentially. And his captain or his boss was this guy, Fred Chrisman, who then reported this to a little pulp magazine. At the time, was called Amazing Stories, which then later became Fate Magazine, published out of Chicago. And these were those like really funny rags at the time that military and servicemen like really loved. They'd get them overseas and they'd have all these wild stories about Martians and underground societies of, of robot creatures. And they were really wild stuff. And really some of the first great sci-fi writers wrote for this thing. So he sent this story in and they received it after the Summer of the Saucer finally kicked off. And they're like, oh my God, do we got a story here? So essentially, he got that story and the publisher called Kenneth Arnold. Now, Kenneth Arnold at that time was the most famous man in America. And he was the most famous man in America because while he was out trying to sell commercial fire equipment, he was flying into Washington to make a sale and then going back home to Boise. He piloted his own plane. He saw nine craft in between Mount Adams and Mount Rainier in Washington State. And he couldn't believe his eyes. He was a professional pilot. He had hundreds and hundreds of hours in air. And he had a very skilled eye. A part of what his job was was also inspecting hillsides for fires that could break out. So he would be able to, you know, sort of tell local officials that, hey, you got a fire up in the mountains or whatever, go address that. So he was also a fire watchman. So he had a trained, keen eye for these type of things. Well, when he landed, he started to tell everybody at the airport what had happened. And there was a press agent there. And this press agent wrote the story down, sent it through the wire, and it got picked up nationally. And that was the start of the summer of the saucers and that's where flying saucer the term originated was that sighting there they weren't saucers they were more like uh they they looked like boomerangs and from there kenneth arnold became the most famous man in america and was getting inundated by interview requests and and people showing up to his house sharing with him that they had seen something too and legitimately It appeared that the whole country was going flying saucer crazy and everyone was seeing something in the skies from pilots to journalists to policemen to just normal folks. And that's when he got a call from this publisher who said, listen, I want to make this story record. I want to publish it and I want to publish a book. But first, will you go out to Maury Island, Washington, since you have a plane, fly out to Tacoma and go check out this guy and go check out this story. And so essentially what happens is he accepts, gets paid a few hundred bucks, flies out there, and he begins to investigate what happened at Maury Island to see the veracity of it, 
and to see if he could pick up some of the material that was dropped because they had mentioned in the letter to this publisher that they had kept some of it. Mm. So he's like, oh my God, am I going to be able to get actual flying saucer material? Like not only is that going to, you know, add veracity to whatever the story is, I can, you know, document it. I get paid for that. It'll be great. It's also going to like kind of prove my story to people that don't believe me. Like, hey, look at this. Let's test this. This is real, what I experienced. I'm not going crazy. I'm not losing my facilities. This is an experience that's authentic. And so what happened there and what I've basically been writing is that the preceding days after are just filled with so much weirdness. It's like something out of a, like a strange novella or something. More after this. And now back to the show. There's so many lies, there's so many tropes that are then engaged within our popular culture in addition to the UFO stuff. I mean, there's the first appearance of what people would later call the men in black occurs. Oof, I'm so scared of the men in black. <laughs> yeah, there's anonymous phone calls coming into the hotel room. There's secretive government agents that come and take the material way and try to dissuade them from the authenticity of the thing. It turns out later that Fred Chrisman, the man who had reported this initially to the publisher in a letter, was a spook and had worked for, for the CIA. He worked for OSS in World War II. His unit, allegedly, uh, were the ones that were involved in Operation Paperclip which was uh, the operation that confiscated essentially Nazi technology after World War II, was responsible for taking their scientists and distributing them across nuclear installations Mm -hmm. and developing uh, all of that. This is why we don't always trust the CIA. (laughs) Those old guys again. Uh So anyway, yeah, from 1947 on, this has been a different world we live in. And there's been something that has attracted our imagination, our curiosity, and our dread. And it's fundamentally changed how we think about ourselves in a society. It's fundamentally changed how we think about our country. And it's so telling to me that after something like World War II, we lived through this sort of mirrored experience. What's interesting about what we've experienced through the UAP phenomenon and kind of what we're going on right now is that, I mean, the lockdown was an incredibly traumatic event. Mm-hmm. The level of paranoia, of suspicion was rampant and, and, and rightfully so, right? We had never experienced anything like that, especially in the living generations. And it was profound. And for me, personal, I used to say I don't I don't know what I believe in, and even that's questionable. I'm actually like with a little bit of rest and over the years of spending so much time with experiencers and researching so much into this material, I actually am starting to form some beliefs, Chelsea, believe it or not. Yeah. All right. Okay. And I think one of my beliefs is that this is a conversation that we're having with the paranormal and not just something that's passively happening to us all the time. And that the things we experience, whether that's sheer joy or trauma or whatever, I think that translates and can help create what some of these experiences are. And I just wonder what kind of experience are going to be created off the back 
of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I know the conversations we've had and from even going back to the genesis of American hysteria when you were kind of my sounding board originally when I was like, I have this idea for this show. And, you know, you gave me the book by Carl Jung that's about the 1940s and the UFO sort of hysteria that happened and how that went on to kind of or how he sort of talked at least a little bit about kind of the psychology of what was going on then. And something that I never forget about the Kenneth Arnold sighting with the flying saucer was that he did not say I saw a flying saucer. He said, I saw something that moved as if it were a saucer skipping across water. And then the guy wrote it down wrong, but people started seeing the shape of a saucer in the sky. They didn't see the shape he saw. So there is no doubt to me, I mean, that to me just proves that there is some mass psychological event happening. And I know that you have some theories about World War II, which seems to kind of relate back to what you're saying about what will our paranormal experiences, what will the big events be that we remember post-pandemic Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about how the kind of original UFO hysteria, whatever you want to call it, how you think it relates to World War II? Yeah, for sure. I mean, at that time, you had a generation of mostly men that were coming back to their country that were experiencing post-trauma without it really being understood at that time. And they had some pretty archaic ways to describe it. And they have had over the decades since, like, you know, shell-shocked and things like this. But what they were describing is um, something that's much better understood now. And I think the climate of such is that you were always kind of looking over your shoulder and up into the sky. Like, what was dropping Mm. next? What was that experience that you were about to have that could take your life or your family's? And in some regards, so many of those folks, they brought that war back home with them. And we've heard, you know, these were our great-grandfathers. These were our great-great-grandfathers. For some of us, they were our grandfathers. For some of us listening, they were our dads. These were people we knew, right? Mm. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that these people were greatly affected by being a part of that war. So it's personal. It gets personal very quickly. And we saw how much weight so many of those veterans were carrying without being able to get adequate service. And that's still something that happens today. It's, you know, if anything, I hope that through, you know, this book I'm writing is maybe that people have more awareness of the services that are not being given to veterans, specifically some of the psychological things that that could happen, right? Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, I think that the Summer of the Saucers could point towards some sort of, I think you said it best, it's like a kind of a, um, not a mass psychosis, but a, a group of people all carrying this weight, that war manifesting in different ways as it is unsettled, Mm -hmm. as it's a war that continued going on, but it just changed its face. And I think that, again, 
uh, just like the Kenneth Arnold, you know, the the <laughs> the introduction of the flying saucer into the the psychology, into the subconscious of those that then started to experience it. I think those traumatic events, such as being a part of a war, can do very similar things to people. Now, I could be completely full of shit and talking out of school in this. And again, I am not a trained uh, psychologist, therapist. I am a correspondent. He's a correspondent, people. He's not an expert. <laughs> right. And so I don't want to, uh, you know, this is speculative, right? But as a student of American culture, there's just, you can't separate sometimes the perceived notion of what is going on and then what its seemingly cultural artifacts are after that mm -hmm. and th the proxies in which these huge events can occur these hugely like sort of traumatic events can occur in one's life and then again find its way through some sort of understanding of what that all means through something outside of yourself and i'll tell you what like why i started like going in this direction with this book i'm writing and my thinking towards this and even sort of my belief system in this is that through doing euphemet the experiences and the stories I was doing, they all started to have a very strong connection. And that is one part very purposefully. I, I never wanted the stories to be about the phenomena itself. I wanted to be about the experience around it and how these things changed us. But it just so happens as I continued doing these and speaking with experiences of, of various phenomena, like you name it, it was... A situation where these individuals were changed, they experienced something after, and were changed again. Mm. And when I started this, I didn't necessarily think about the change that happened before. Sometimes it was something they did. Sometimes it was something that had happened to them. But typically, it's some sort of challenge that they're encountering. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's the loss mm. of a loved one. Sometimes it's a health scare. Just name it. These things that deeply affect us and, you know, change the trajectory of our life. These are often the things that can kickstart a profound paranormal experience for people and change their relationship to reality, really. And these are things that I don't think are necessarily artifacts of uh, psychological disorder. And I'm not speculating in that way at all. I'm not saying something happens. Mm -hmm. People are dealing with it you know, and they go into some sort of psychosis. I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that potentially the paranormal, what if it is working with and through us and is a mechanism, a tool that we have developed, you know, from the start of time potentially to help figure out what is going on with us inside. Absolutely. Or, or what is our place in this world? Because these things they are like mirrors and that has been profoundly clear to me after doing so much time with experiencers is that so often whatever their experience fuck it is a direct mirror mm. to whatever had happened to them and you could say that going back to world war ii that that's just happening on a mass cultural American scale, right? right? Because do you know about the Mad Gasser of Mattoon? Yeah, from your show. Okay, right. Yeah, we did an episode on that, and that was also probably 
right around the exact same time that the UFO hysteria was happening. And basically, that was a town that was experiencing all these mysterious symptoms. And people thought that there was this kind of man stealing through the night, potentially poisoning people mm. with gas, like leaking yeah. through their window. And that's like a very crude way to explain the story. It's very complicated. But we have an episode on it. Listeners, you can go listen to that. But um, it's impossible not to notice the way that it is mirroring because you know aside from veterans of the war it's also it was extremely traumatic for all americans yes. world war ii yeah. right so everyone is having these events happening that are mirroring what reality we're hearing about so you have a mad gasser right you have this person stealing through the night using poison gas to potentially harm people like that's a story that mirrors what's happening or what americans had finally started to hear about around gas chambers and then the same thing with the idea of ufo invasion the idea that we're being invaded by a foreign threat like that was a pretty new concept at that time but it was mirroring this massive fear that we had of being invaded by the nazis at that time so i think that what you're saying perfectly makes sense to me. And I think you can even go back to just the idea that with each new wave of technology, we have new types of paranormal yeah. experiences or tropes like, you know, even during like when the telephone was invented and the telegraph, that's when spiritualism took yeah. off. You know, literally we heard ghosts tapping out messages to <laughs> us the same time that we have the telegraph, which is shocking the hell out of people <laughs> being like, I can communicate with someone across the country like that's amazing and terrifying yeah. <laughs> right like i can hear a disembodied voice talking to me on the phone just as we start having people channeling voices to me it is it's clear that there is some connection between what's happening in culture and the events that are around us and the anxieties that we have and then how we project that out into the paranormal and then how we are in conversation not only with that but with each other yeah. right and we're fueling these ideas until they become i mean basically tulpas right yeah. like full-blown entities that we are creating that feel in some ways no less real than if they were somehow separate from our psychology yeah absolutely you make such good points there and i think that it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes and that if there is at some point an acceptance of that relationship to reality in terms of the general public because these are things that science is and has been starting to unravel in terms of what the true nature of reality could be now, we don't know, right? Like, objectively, we don't know what reality is right now. We have great theories and some understanding of things. And there are things that make sense over here if done a certain way. But then there's another theory that also works, but does not work with the other theory that works. Right. So it's an interesting place to be. Now, when you layer in things like AI and you layer in essentially creating kind of a different version of reality through virtual reality or these different things. We're now layering our world with different versions of reality, uh, different levels of consciousness. And again, like things are only going to continue getting more strange and interesting. And I, I think that potentially within the next few decades, we're going to start understanding more about 
our meat body's relationship to the nature of reality mm. and that these things that we encounter, the paranormal, but exist in some fashion just as objectively we can stand on grass in our yard with our bare feet and that they're not mutually exclusive to each other. There's some relationship there, but that both things are just as real, just in different ways. And they cause real world effects, right? Yeah. Where if we believe something to be true, even if that thing isn't real, it's going to have echoes in the way that we interact with each other, interact with the government, interact with companies and interact with our children, our yeah. parents, everything. It affects everything. And I mean, we've seen that with politics, obviously. And uh, I think for both of us, the question has never been what's real and what's not real. It's what is the effect and also the reason for these experiences that people have who I mean, you and I have both had experiences that we can't explain and we will probably never be able to explain. Yeah. And, you know, we are pretty, obviously I said I stayed up all night afraid of aliens, but, you know, I feel like <laughs> we both pride ourselves on being flexible skeptics. But I have been profoundly affected my whole life by paranormal experiences. And uh it so has America. And I think we'll continue that, as you said, and we'll start to see the fruits. I guess I don't know if they're they're sweet fruits or bitter fruits, <laughs> but we will see the fruits of the things that are happening now. And um, I mean, even down to the idea that this uh, was some sort of cover up the idea that we're seeing all these UFOs to cover up the fact that we had this like tremendous disaster happen in Ohio with the train derailment and how there are like some psychic connections there that you can draw of just like the terror of seeing that massive chemical cloud. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it's happening simultaneously. So I, I'm not suggesting that there is a cover up or anything like that, but there are these you know, these frightening events that are coinciding and they're all coming out of these like the last five, I mean, what, last hundred years of things leading up to this present moment that are very, very, very scary. I mean, we're living in a very scary, very apocalyptic seeming time. I mean, every day it's a natural disaster somewhere in the country or some sort of unexplainable event or some horrible tragedy. And it does feel like it just feels more dramatic than it yeah. has in any other time in my life, certainly. Yeah. Um, and so I think it makes perfect sense that this is happening and that we are going to continue to have things pop up. And I don't know, I think something I would love to hear from you, you know, before we kind of wrap up here is what do you think, Jim, UFOs are. <laughs> Let's put aside the idea for a second that they are our psychic projections of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. But as a UFO guy, like, here we go. I think if UFOs are anything, this is my very uh, amateur <laughs> opinion, it's us from the future coming back to be like, whoa, I like you that. gotta stop, you know? And that's <laughs> always been the thing that made sense to me. But I'm interested in what, if you were to allow yourself to believe as Mulder would, what do you think? <laughs> Pure speculation. 
I like the time travel thing. And I like that they like are not super good at it either. Oh, no. They're just like enough good that they can be present, but they, they like they can't get anything across. They just confuse us more. Well, they're just our dumbasses <laughs> later. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're supposed to hit the other button. Um, no, listen, I love this author, John Keel. His most famous book was The Mothman Prophecies, probably. And that explored his journey in West Virginia, researching and investigating this crop of sightings of this creature called Mothman and then connections to all sorts of things like UFOs and Men in Black and everything else. He is a proponent of sort of the idea of high strangeness. Mm. And he is a Fordian, which goes back to Charles Ford, which was one of the, some would say, one of the first modern paranormal philosophers. He wrote the Book of the Damned. And uh, there was several societies set up in his honor, most notably the New York Fortean Society, which I will mention me and my friend Andrew Jewell are relaunching sometime in the near future, which is going to be very great. A little tease there. And he is the proponent, uh, John Keel, of uh, something called the super spectrum. Now, he was trying to wrap up, you know, in some of his later books, he was trying to wrap up what all this stuff could be so that... If he did a book version of what this podcast kind of is and where people have a lot of questions about the the overarching nature of the paranormal or of UFOs, he was trying to like figure out a theory for everything, essentially. And a lot of his work was gleaned from guys like Jacques Vallée, who is still active in the field. And this idea of the super spectrum is that there's a frequency that is just out of reach for us that through this whether they're multidimensional or a different version of us or something on the spiritual side of things, they're just out of reach and occasionally we break through to be able to see them. And some of the ways we break through and see them is heightened states of awareness, altered states of consciousness. These type of things allow us to kind of lift the veil and then interact somehow with these entities. Non-human intelligence uh, do i feel this could be a thing and not just a reflection of ourselves maybe but i like this idea that there is like a frequency that we can just kind of tap into i also like this idea that it's more fun to believe which my friend ryan singer likes to say it's hmm. one of his coined terms but it's true because i think that when you do allow yourself to slip into a place of suspended disbelief right it allows things to like happen. It allows an invitation to be accepted, essentially. And listen, when you have someone that is completely a skeptic and not flexible in those ways and and goes into situations like, for example, a room that has um, uh, is haunted and has an increased level of activity and, you know, they swear that if you sit down here for a couple hours that you'll get some sort of response. Now, the level of response is going to be drastically different if you're a believer or you know a flexible skeptic or someone that is just completely a cynic and says fuck no this is bullshit those experiences are going to be quite different for those people and so i think there's a a level of co-creation and mm. you know that can get into some like sort of shamanic realms and and things like that but i kind of like that idea yeah that they're just a frequency away not quite able to be reached. I like that too. Well, thank you, Jim, so much for coming on here and just breaking down this 
freaky news that may not be very freaky at all. <laughs> but, you know, I had a little bit of fun and a lot of terror deciding <laughs> to believe in it for a little bit there. And uh, I've never felt that way before. I never uh, felt imminently that perhaps this was it. Yeah. And, you know, it was an interesting feeling. <laughs> mm, yeah. So. Well, at least you got that out of it. Yeah, I got that out of the way. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. You're always just such a joy to talk to and a comfort. And uh, I know that our listeners feel that way, too. So yeah. next mass paranormal event, you're coming back on. Oh, thanks, friend. I'll see you at the invasion. Perfect. See you there. This was American Hysteria. Make sure you check out Jim's show, Euphemet, wherever you get your podcasts. If you love our show, you can become a patron and get ad-free early episodes, as well as bonus content, which includes Hysteria Home Companion, a podcast where producer Miranda and I tell the sensational stories that didn't make it into the episode just head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria. And you can also know that you're supporting our show. If you're feeling generous, you can also leave us a five-star review on the app of your choice. This episode has sound design by Clear Camo Studios and was produced by Miranda Zickler. And I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I encourage you to keep your eyes on the sky, but your feet on the ground. It's not always an easy thing to do. Have a great week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com